Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So with that said, I want to introduce you to the first scripture this morning. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures this morning, so if you are excited about the Bible, if you're excited about what God has inspired in his word, and you're going to be excited about today. If not, I hope by the end of this, I inspire you to open your Bible. So in Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, before he even made the world, before he even made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. You see, this is the whole series we've been doing six weeks now on holiness and, and a movement into the sacred. And I've shown you over and over and over again that God needs us to be holy. He calls us to be holy. Without holiness, we can't see him. We need to be holy because he is holy. And so we see it again here in Ephesians. He called us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to God decided in advance to. Hopefully you're getting a a, a, a gist of what this verse is about. He made us, but before the world, he had an idea. Before the world, he, he set his eyes on something in advance. Let's read the rest of this. It says, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. Part of the sacred mystery of holiness is God bringing us together in his own family. This was his plan. He has a plan. Church, let that get in your being. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that you are part of an eternal plan? I mean, seriously, think about this for a second. Your existence did not begin at conception. You began in the mind of God before the foundation of this earth. Meditate on that. Nothing will make you feel smaller or bigger. Far from an accident, you and I are part of a brilliant plan that started before the planet Earth and continues, well, well beyond it. He chose us before the foundations of the world. He knew us before he made us, and he drew up works for us to do before he breathed life into our lungs. He had a plan for his sacred family. And he included you and me in that plan. This very thought should bring us to tremendous peace. Many of us are often stressed and overwhelmed with the cares and anxieties of this world, but I'm here to tell you this moment that he has a plan and you are part of it and is to be part of his family. He has a plan for me and you. This is a mystery of Scripture, and it may be lost on some of us. You see, there are many mysteries that abound in the holy text. There's many mysteries that abound in just being alive on this planet. I asked my kids over dinner, I said, hit me up with some mysteries that come to mind, some great mysteries. You know, they immediately said things like, the Malaysian Flight 370, what happened to it? They asked and they reminded me, we still don't really know how Hitler died. Did he kill himself? Did the tunnel fall under? Who got to him? There's a mystery. How many shooters were there on the grassy knoll with JFK? 
Was it a conspiracy? Was it, there are great mysteries that abound. We've been talking about the Ark of the Covenant for many weeks. Where is it? Where is it? Noah's Ark, where is it? Here's a better one. The whole book of Genesis starts off with the Garden of Eden. Where is it? I mean, there are mysteries in Scripture that are all over. Mysteries like God's plan for you and for me. Mysteries like God's plan for our family, for the Kingsway Christian Center. They're often considered unknowable, unattainable, intangible. But today I want to remind you that many of God's mysteries, his most important mysteries, his sacred mysteries, many of them are spelled out so clearly in his word. You want to check them out? Let's take a look. So I want to start with this one right here. I'm going to read it to you because when I, when I think about this, I think of myself. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling you, the unbelievers, the non-Jews, maybe there's some Jews here outside of me, but most of us are unbelievers, we're Gentiles, telling us about the endless treasure available to them in Jesus Christ. This is how I feel about myself. I get the privilege of sharing with you the endless treasures followed, available through Jesus Christ. I am not a celebrity pastor. I didn't go to a celebrity school. I, I haven't spent 30, 40, 50 years uh, studying the doctrines. I haven't been on a mission trip where people were raised from the dead. I feel very much like the least of these. Look, I've sinned as much or more as many of you here today. My history is tainted, tarnished, contaminated. But I get the pleasure, I get the privilege of sharing with you the endless treasures available through Jesus Christ. Right here, this is a mystery. What are these endless treasures that he speaks of? And who is speaking here? Did I write this? I didn't write this. By the way, this is a mystery verse. It's in your Bible. Some of you may not know where it is. I'm not going to share where this verse is quite yet. Don't look on Google. Look at this next line. Though I am least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the unbelievers about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Next part of the verse. And I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. It's literally saying that God has kept a secret from the very beginning of time. I've shared with you, he began to create it before he ever created you, before you ever breath, were breath life into this planet. Before any of that, he created this plan. And something that happens after Jesus Christ, it's made available through Jesus Christ. What is it? What is this that he has kept secret from the beginning? I will tell you this so you don't have to wait long. If you wait here to the end of the service, which won't be much longer, I will share the context of this verse and the endless mystery that is here. But you must wait. And I can't share it to you right now because when I read the next verse in this, in this scripture, it didn't dawn on me. It didn't seem like a great mystery. It, matter of fact, it didn't seem majestic at all. And in that moment, the Lord really began to speak conviction to me. I don't understand the word. I don't understand his mysteries. And so I went on a hunt to understand the sacred. What is the sacred 
all about? Why was it so important in Numbers 4, in Kings and Chronicles? Why did people die when they didn't understand the sacred? Why was God reminding us and giving us such instructions around the sacred? How did the sacred make things holy? Why is this important? The great mystery. And so the Lord, I told you before, he, he put me to a number of pastors. Francis Chan has got me on this voyage here that I'm on. And this time he took me to Revelations. What better book to study the mysterious things of God than the book of Revelations? Of course no one understands that. Of course it's the greatest mystery. The book itself is a mystery, right? How about today we dive into the book of Revelations and round out this series on the sacred? How about we take a look? No longer at the beginning. No longer at the Ark of the Covenant, at Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. No longer at Moses and Joshua. No longer at David and Uzzah. No longer in the Old Testament with Elijah. But how about we skip forward? We, we know about the gospel of Jesus. We've heard that. We'll talk a little bit more about it today, but, but what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? What happened with all the other books in the New Testament? We get all the way to the end now, to Revelations, and we take a look at Jesus Christ in heaven. My kids say, the greatest mystery is what is heaven like? Have you opened the book of Revelations? The whole book's about it. Today, I want to treat revelations like it can be understood by any one of us. And I want to go through it. And what I think you'll find is that there is great delight in reading the word of God, in understanding revelations. But I will warn you, there is also great conviction. Because when I'm done this message, it again won't be one of those messages where you're like, woohoo! It'll be one of those messages like, oh wow. And we've been spending six weeks to get to this point today. Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? Look, if you're not ready, we can pray. We can sing a song. I can dismiss you. God is good. And all the time. All right, Revelation. So here we are. After Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came down. Okay, then all of the people, all the apostles, they got persecuted. They were killed. And then you have all the various churches that stood up all throughout time, all the verses and all the, the New Testament. And then you get to Revelations. This is a book written by a man named John. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... Okay, so John was writing this book. How did he write this book? He wrote this book because he had a vision. We don't understand visions today. At least most of us don't. This isn't a dream where he fell asleep and he had to remember and he was jotting down imagery. No, no, no. This wasn't something that God just put in his mind as a thought. You see, he was praying in the spirit. We'll talk about what that means in a second. He was praying in the spirit and God began to put into him uh, an event, a scene, a sequence of activities that he could see in his mind's eyes if it was happening right then, right now, as if he was interacting with it. That's a vision. This man, John, was going through that in the book of Revelations. And in the book of Revelations, what we see is a picture of the heavens. And we see God on the throne. We see Jesus Christ. We see all the angels. And we begin to see other things like mystical and magical beings. We begin to see all sorts of amazing things. And I want to share some with you today. And I think it will round off what God thinks about the sacred. And to tee you off on this, I want to read one verse here. I didn't put it on the screen. It came to me this morning. Revelations chapter 1. I want to read it very carefully, very slowly, because I want you to understand what you're about to get in store for. Verse 3 of, of chapter 1, it says this. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. 
Amen. I get blessed just by reading it to you. I don't do anything else but read it and I get blessed. Which means if you read along, by the way, if you read the words along, guess what happens? You get blessed. Listen to the next part of this. It says, and then he blesses anyone who listens to the prophecy and obeys what it says for the time is near. All you need to do is listen today. This is going to be an easy one, I hope. And I know it's revelations and I know it's complicated, but we have in store for you something special. Let's begin. Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. I wanted to just read Revelations, Brother Roy. I wanted to. I wanted to just read the words and keep going. But you know what, brother? I saw this and I couldn't. I just, I couldn't help myself. I got to stop here. I got to open your eyes, church. Listen, I don't know where you came from today. I don't know what your belief system is today. I don't know what you think about heaven today. But let me tell you, there's a door. There's a gate. And it is open. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ stands at that door and he knocks. You have the choice to close that door or leave that door open. And the heavens from the highest places in the universe can pour out in your life because he is at that door and it is open. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet. The voice said, come up. Come up here and I will show you. What must happen after this? Many of us are plagued not knowing God's will, not understanding what God means, wondering if he is in control. Let me be very clear. God has a plan and he is in ultimate control. He knows exactly what will happen next and he intends to see that happen. He is in control, not your situation, not your neighbors, not your family, not your spouse, not your government, not your situation, not anyone, not your enemy, not Satan. God is in control. The world is not spinning out of control. He is going to show us what must happen next. Verse 2, and instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Man, I tell you, Lord, how am I going to do it? I just want to read these verses. I just want you to get it. But how can, I, how can I stop here? I want to talk about what it means to be in the Spirit. I thought about this and thought about this, said, you know what? I'm going to do a whole series about it. So we'll move on from that because we need to understand what it means to be in the Spirit. But look here what else it says. I need you to see it. I need you to see it. There's a throne in heaven today and someone's sitting on it. Well, there is a king of kings. He has a throne. You may not see it. You may not even want to see it, but I tell you in the spirit, you can pensate, you can focus, you can meditate, you can ruminate on a throne, and when you picture it in your mind, instantly you will see the God of gods. Hallelujah. Okay, I got to speed this up or I'm never going to get through it. Let's keep going here. The one sitting on the throne was brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and sarnelian, and the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Sarnelian is like ruby, is red and green. It was translucent. It was glowing around him like plasma. Wow. Verse 4, 24 thrones surrounded him. 24 elders sat on those. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. So there's all these 
thrones, these little thrones around the big throne, and then there's these flames and these torches and these men with white sitting on them. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In verse 6, it says, In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Imagine that! It's not hair. It's not skin. It's eyes, front and back. This is the word of God. This is not boring, church. Verse 7. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth, like an eagle in flight. Verse 8. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes on the inside and the out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy. is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. Again, I tell you, church, this is another way the Bible says God is good all the time. Verse 9, whenever the living beings give glory, whenever these living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the 24 elders, they all fall down off their thrones, and they worship the one sitting on the throne. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy. O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Hopefully, this scene is starting to get inside you. It's starting to, to create an imagery in your mind. 24 people, souls, around a massive throne. Why 24? There's much speculation and theologians debate about it, but it's generally believed that there are 24 prophets and priests that were before us. 24, 12 from the Old Testament, maybe the 12 tribes of Judah. 12 from the New Testament, maybe the 12 disciples. People, maybe like Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Elijah, Peter, David. I don't know, but they're all there bowing, taking their crowns off and bowing before God. Eyes, eyes on everything. Eyes on wings, eyes on skin, eyes on beings, eyes everywhere. We wonder how God does it. Thunder, power, lightning falling down in the midst of this. Flames rising up around them. A sea of glass. It doesn't mean water. It means literal glass. And it was something back then they didn't even have. There was very little of it. It was a rare thing to imagine glass and crystal sparkling all around them. And then there are these majestic beings, four of them, representing, symbolizing the character of God, the lion, his power, the ox, God's faithfulness, the human face to remind us of humanity, our intelligence, our emotions. The eagle flying above, sovereign, reigning over all. And in the midst of all of that, there is a great choreography. The angels, the elders, the majestic beings, the songs, 
God himself. But now you may be wondering why I share all this with us. It's interesting, but it's not as interesting to me. I mean, it seems like it's something happening in heaven way far off, and I don't see me in there. I don't see you in there. Where are we? All of this happening in heaven, where are we? What is this all about? Today, I want to introduce you to our latest topic. This here is a real picture. This is a modern-day picture of Saudi Arabia. This is a pilgrimage of a bunch of men and women and children coming to honor and worship their God. Millions, in fact. This is what it looks like. Building a temple, much like the one we heard in 2 Chronicles. Look at this. It's gorgeous. Look at all the people. Imagine. I've talked to you about sacred instructions around the Ark of the Covenant, around a sacrifice. I've talked to you about sacred reminders, not playing church, the sacraments, the Holy Communion, the altar. I've talked to you about sacred temples, a a building, a place for God's presence to come in, his instructions to build it, his reminders to worship in it. And then he creates you and me temples that he can fill and bring his presence together. And today, I want to introduce you to sacred gatherings. So the question today is, what is your role in the sacred gathering? If you just read Revelations 4, you may say, I don't see my role. I asked you earlier, do you see yourself part of a grander plan? God has a plan for you. You saw the mystery verse. What is the plan? Why is it in in Revelations? How can I understand this? Well, part of it is because Revelations doesn't end in chapter 4. There's a lot more chapters, so we need to keep reading. Are you ready? Revelations chapter 5, verse 1. Will you go there? It says this. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. There's a scroll in God's hand. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or in earth or under earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Verse 4, then I began to weep bitterly because no one found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, who was it? I don't know. I kind of think it was Peter. Came up and he said, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. I don't know. Maybe it's Abraham. Maybe it's Elijah. You pick your favorite prophet. Maybe that was the one who was saying, look at the lion of Judah right here. But you know what happens, church? Oh, I get so excited. You know what happens? He told him to look at the lion. He told him to look at the lion, the lion of strength, the lion worthy of holding the scroll, the lion worthy of opening up God's greatest mystery. He was so excited. He said, stop weeping. Look, look at the lion. Look at the next verse. Then he looked, it says, but he saw a lamb. He didn't see a lion. Many of us, when we look at Jesus Christ, we see the lamb. We see the one slaughtered the one given for us. Let's keep reading. 
I got so excited here. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. This lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that it sends to every part of the earth. This was no ordinary lamb. Don't think the lamb of God is weak. Don't think the lamb of God does not have strength and power and cannot do all things. The lamb of God was the one that was slaughtered, but he is ferocious. He, in fact, is a lion worthy to open the scrolls. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Verse 8, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. These beings, these elders, they fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they had gold bowls filled with incense. Okay. Now we're about to get personal. If you have your Bible, you know what comes next. All this to say, where are we? Where are we? Do we get a part in this scene? Do we get a part in the heavenly of heavenlies? Do we get a part of the sacred gathering? The elders fell down. They ticked their crowns off. They began to worship God. And they had these gold bowls of incense. What's in the bowls? What's in the bowl? Incense. What's incense in heaven? What is that? Let's take a look. It says, which are the prayers of God's people. You get a part in the heavenlies, in the sacred gathering through your prayers. Now, some of us are saying amen. Some of us are like, hallelujah. Others are like, uh, what? Really? This kind of feels like a letdown, Pastor Sean. All these people get to participate in one of the greatest events ever to happen, and we get to get all lumped up in a bowl of incense? And my prayers go with your prayers? I don't even like her. Who knows what your prayers are? This is it? Do you feel insulted? Do you feel diminished? You see, instead of being honored, we as humans, we crave more recognition. Surely this can't be it. Let's keep reading. The next verse says, and they sang a new song. This is those living majestic beings. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. You were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for people. For God, from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. This is the point of this gathering. This is part of God's plan that all people, every nation, all languages, all tribes come together in unity. It doesn't end there. The next verse then says, And then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. Now we got the angels. Thousands and millions of them. They have a role. They're chiming in. They got a song to sing. And they sing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. So you got the beings. You got the elders. Now you got the angels. You got Jesus. You got God. You got the Holy Spirit. Everybody's got a role. And maybe there's a little more for us to do. Let's see, because there's another verse. Verse 13. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power. Blessing and honor and glory and power. Blessing and honor and glory and power. Do you see it, church? 
There's a great choreography going on between the angels and the elders and the magical beings and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and you. Your role here is to be a part. To be a part. So I ask you again, what do you think your role is in the sacred gathering? What a tremendous and unspeakable honor it is to be counted in the great symphony in heaven. That's what church is about. But you know what? It may still feel insufficient for those who are used to being their own God in their own world. Gods of our own blogs and Twitter accounts. It feels insignificant to those who have erected their own shrines on Facebook and Instagram filled with beautiful lives that we curate for people to see. You see, herein lies the danger. There's nothing wrong with that, but the danger is clamoring for attention. We don't realize that God's plan is the opposite. True joy comes from the opposite of the world's attention. Joy comes as we stand among those Jesus redeemed and we get lost in the sea of worship. It's a sacred gathering. This is our role to become intrinsically connected, to become ourselves fully part of something sacred. Gathering with the church should lead us to this holy ground. You get to come to worship with someone else for someone else. We worship someone else. We worship with someone else. You get to pour out your love to him by serving those around you and considering those people more important than yourself. It's not about you. Thank God it's not about you. You don't want it to be about you. It's got to be something bigger than you. Something, some plan out there that God has for us and he's using the church. And it's sacred. Has that settled in yet? Now if you get the imagery of the church and of worship and of the heavens and of what God is doing, now, now I hope you can appreciate the mystery verse. Here it is. I have chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. What did God keep secret from the beginning? What possibly could God share with us after Jesus Christ? This mysterious plan took place after. You see, he shared with us the sacred ark. He shared with us the sacred communion. He shared with us the sacred temple. What what could be more mysterious than all of that? What could he possibly have in store for us? The angels in heaven were awaiting. The mysterious beings were waiting for God to unveil. What is this great mystery? Well, this verse is Ephesians 3, 9. You can scatter to your Bible to try to read 3, 10, but I got one better for you. I'll put it on the screen. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ. His wisdom, all of it, the pinnacle of his wisdom was his church, his miracles in his church, his unity in his church. Do you see? This is his master plan. To have all people, all ages, all demographics, all races, all creeds, all colors, all tribes, all nations, all languages, all preferences come together, not as a human race, but as a sacred gathering. God is putting away the sacred objects 
And he is putting something as sacred as those on the table, his church. Now, do you understand? Can you get a hold of it? Just dig a little deeper. He is saying that as sacred as the altar is, as sacred as communion is, as sacred as the Ark of the Covenant is, as sacred as his righteousness is, is as sacred as you are when you come into his church with his presence. You bring it together, all together, as one. Think about this. Think about what God is saying. God wanted to show the heavenly beings his incomparable wisdom. So he teed up a mystery. The grand reveal is the heavens we're anticipating has now finally arrived. The curtain is drawn back and they gasp to see. What do they see? What could he possibly create that's better than Jesus Christ? Or even on his level? The church. What? No way. God created the church? All these objects before and now he's talking about you and me. This is unreal. Through the cross, people of every nation, every tongue become members of one body. No hate. No division. The world unites in one supernatural miracle, his church. God himself is joining his creation and allowing them to be part of his own body. This was his plan all along. There was going to come a day when the almighty God would dwell with his people in all races. That's his church. There would be brought complete unity, forming one temple for one God. Do you see why all of this matters so much? Many today treat the church as optional. We see it as some outdated way to connect to God that has long outlived its usefulness. We'd rather connect with God on our own way, in our own time, without all the weird people making church difficult. We can empathize with them, right? Many of us feel the same way at times. But when we try to see the church from God's perspective, when we try to appreciate God's design for the church, we are in awe. We are in wonder. We are in mystery. The church, the sacred gathering of his creation, temples holding his presence, coming together as stones forming a bigger single temple in a building like this, with buildings around Rosedale, with buildings around Maryland, with buildings around the United States, with buildings around the world, huts and villages and people all gathered together to take part in the sacred symphony that takes place in heaven. We are privileged and honored to be a part of it, church. But are we convicted yet? Are we convicted by our own failures to understand the beauty of God's design. Heavenly beings are literally shocked by God's reveal of the church. And yet many of us merely yawn. The early church did not need energetic music, great videos, magnetic leaders. They didn't need sophisticated and elaborate lighting. They didn't need any of this to be excited about God's body. The gospel was pure enough to put them in awe. They simply worshiped. Like me. Like me. Aren't you a little embarrassed that we need all this? We need all this extra stuff. See, it's not 
your fault. It's not our fault. For decades, church leaders like myself have lost sight in the powerful mystery inherent in the church. And instead, we've ran to other methods to keep everyone interested. In all honesty, we have trained you to become addicted to lesser things. We have cheapened something sacred. And for that, I believe we must repent. I believe we must recognize that the angels in heaven, the elders in heaven, the magical beings in heaven, they are waiting for our part in the choreography. They have bowed before God. They have taken off their crowns. They've gotten off their thrones. The beings are singing the songs. The angels are singing their songs. They're waiting for us. God does not care about what songs we sing or what messages I preach. He cares about you. He cares about who is here and why. Are you here to play church? Are you here to destroy his temple? Or are you here to be in his presence, a part of a sacred gathering? We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.